Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It's 8pm in Spain and we'll bring you any breaking results of the Spanish general election. But it looks almost certain that the Rainbow Warrior so-called socialist coalition has gone down in flames. That doesn't mean the people coming after them are going to be any better. But the fact that at 6pm... Just half of the people of Spain had voted in a closely, bitterly contested general election seems to buttress my opinion that nobody much cared for any of the parties contesting for the fight. The so-called socialists and their so-called socialist coalition partners and the so-called conservatives and their so-called far-right partners seem to have scrapped it out amongst half of the electorate, outbidding each other in a Dutch auction of more and more misery for the working class people, the vast majority of people in Spain. The only difference is that in Joseph Borrell's backyard of his garden, even fewer people wanted to back the policies of austerity and war represented by a misnamed socialist party of Spain. It is a miserable situation where the only choice available to the Spanish people was dumb and dumber, was worse and worser. And that offer is the offer on offer all across the European Union. But the important thing is, the government has fallen, just like the Dutch government has fallen. The French government is broken. The German government almost entirely bereft of public support. The British government is so unpopular uh, that they held on to the one seat of three that they contested for last Thursday, and only because of the rainbow warrior nature of the so-called Labour opposition. That was Boris Johnson's seat in Uxbridge and Ryslip. In Uxbridge and Ryslip, Labour put up a trans cultist and failed to capture a seat that should have been theirs for the taking. In the Yorkshire constituency that the Conservative government lost, Labour put up a 25-year-old, who looks 15, by the way, a 25-year-old candidate, fresh from Oxford University, a job as a parliamentary researcher 
for one of Tony Blair's finest, whose first act in taking his £87,000 a year job was to tell poor people with more than two children that they could look for no mercy from Keir Starmer's Labour Party. And in the other constituency of three, the Liberal Democrats, more rainbow, more warrior than even the other two parties took the seat. Why do I say the picture is not clear? Because although the public opinion polls seem to indicate that Keir Starmer should have stormed to victory in all three constituencies, in fact, they won only one of them. And in the seat that the Liberal Democrats won, Labour got just over 1,000 votes. These are not the performances in real-time elections to be expected of a party that is expecting to romp home and form a majority government just over a year from now. As I said, in all three cases, the none of the above party won, just like they did, apparently, in Spain this very day. I think the political class in the European Union and in North America is being demonstrated to be so completely out of touch with their electorate that if only a critical mass could develop behind a credible leadership and a credible alternative political program, it would romp to power. Something like that might be happening in the United States. Despite an ocean load of smears, despite every difficulty facing him, including his own voice, Robert Kennedy is burning up the tracks. He's currently the most popular candidate in the field for President of the United States with a 47% favorability rating. That's 2% better than Donald Trump, but it's more than 17% better than Joe Biden, his opponent for the Democratic Party nomination. We had the grotesque spectacle this week of the House Congress in America holding a hearing on censorship with the Democratic Party, whose member he is, doing everything they possibly could to censor Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy Jr. turned up at a censorship hearing and was censored by the Democrat representatives on the committee. But when he finally did get to speak, when a Republican gave over his time to Kennedy to speak, his excoriating, incredible, short burst of denunciation, uh, hurling invective at his own party, was so effective, it raised him $5 million in a single day for his campaign to be the president of the United States of America. But here's the rub. So desperate was his own party 
to rubbish him, smear him, silence him, it seems to me inconceivable that that party will allow him, even if he won every primary election, to be their nominee. And so, Mr. Kennedy, you are now rapidly approaching the point of no return. You're either going to have to fall into line and support Joe Biden that you have amply demonstrated is utterly incapable of being president of the United States. You're going to have to fall into line behind a Democratic Party that has covered you from head to foot in ordure, has tried to gag you at every opportunity, has tried to rig every primary election that you are about to contest, or you're going to have to now make the necessary preparations to be an independent third-party candidate in the upcoming presidential polls in 2024. I very much hope that you will choose the latter course. For if you choose the former course, then like Bernie Sanders, you will have proved to be all mouth and no trousers. You will have proved to be a masochist, a cuckold that is ready to be humiliated by his own party and will fade away in ignominy in public consciousness. And I don't think someone with the name Robert Kennedy should take that course. Somebody called Henry Kissinger, aged 100, took an aeroplane to Beijing this past week. 100 years old, on a 14-hour aeroplane, on which he could easily have perished, flew to Beijing and was treated to a right royal welcome. None of this Anthony Blinken being met by a junior civil servant and nobody even to carry his bags. None of this Lloyd Austin business to whom the Minister of Defense of China will not even pick up the phone. Oh no, Henry Kissinger was given a reception befitting of an American president himself. Why? Well, the answer to both questions, why and why make the journey, is the same. The danger of a war between the United States and China over Taiwan has now reached fever pitch. I know it's hard to believe that bogged down as they are in a losing war, a rapidly accelerating losing war in Ukraine, with the Russian army bursting through collapsing lines of Ukrainian forces, now unable to be reinforced, even though in this so-called counteroffensive, American sources say they have lost 26,000 dead, which means 75,000 wounded, 100,000 dead and wounded, 
in the counteroffensive alone, there are simply not enough Ukrainians of even remotely definable fighting age to fill the gaps that are now being left. And the Russian army is advancing four, five, six kilometers per day, breaking through lines that are crumbling before them as their counter-offensive elsewhere washes up against the ring of steel fortifications that Russia has constructed in the central area of the front line in the Donbass. More and more Western commentators are saying that this Ukrainian counteroffensive is doomed, is failing. It went from slowing to failing to doomed in the last seven days. And in the Daily Telegraph, which is not short of war fervor for the Ukrainian side, it speculated this week that the West and Ukraine are facing imminent disaster. Not what my words, but the Daily Telegraph's words, imminent disaster. It would seem that the Russian advance can go on just as long, just as far, and just as comprehensively as the Russians decide that it will. We're very lucky then, or the Germans are, or maybe not, that it's quite likely that the Russian advance will stop before it reaches Berlin. But not content with one losing war after another in the last year and a half, the debacle in Afghanistan, followed by the imminent disaster in Ukraine, the danger of an American-China war has rapidly ramped up. And that presumably, and I say this advisedly, is the reason Kissinger flew to China. We'll hear from an expert in China in the course of this show on what this trip was all about and what its likelihood of a successful outcome might have been. Lastly, if two wars was not enough, the United States seems embarked upon a war with Iran. I know, a war on three part fronts. What could possibly go wrong? Fighting Russia, China, and Iran all at the same time with an ailing economy, with a president who doesn't know where he is. What could possibly go wrong? But the US is doubling down in Syria, sending thousands of new soldiers to illegally occupy parts of Syria which border Iraq, which borders Iran. Many people believe, and I am among them, that they are seeking a provocation in Syria as a casus belli to launch military aggression against Iran. And if they do, it may be their biggest mistake yet, because Iran is more than capable of hitting them back, of hitting them back and of hitting their proxy back. 
with all guns blazing, Iran's own weapons and the weapons of Iran's allies in the region will rain down fire and destruction in the Persian Gulf, but maybe as far away as the Levant itself. We'll be talking about all these subjects, plus a subject that you might not anticipate that we will, the travails of Alec Baldwin and the shooting dead of an actress on set in Hollywood in the United States of America. It's a more interesting and fundamentally important story than you might have thought because it goes to the heart of the U.S. justice system itself. Fasten your seatbelts. This is the mother of all talk shows. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Angelo. Giuliano is my favorite commentator these days, coming out of China. He's a European who's lived in China for decades and knows what's going on there, and moreover, knows the lies that are being told about China in Europe and indeed across the so-called Western world. Angelo, it's always a privilege to have you on the mother of all talk shows, especially in an auspicious week like the one we've just had. Uh, what first attracted Henry Kissinger at the age of 100 to fly all the way to China? What's your take on it? I think uh, even though Henry Kissinger is a war criminal and I'm not very much of a fan of him, but it seems like uh, he, he might be a voice of reason uh, and he might actually negotiate something with China. Uh, what the U.S. has been doing is putting pressure somehow, uh, maybe for negotiation uh, on a bailout, because what people tend to forget is that one of the main problems that the U.S. has, and this is related to the fact that they had the privilege of uh, printing uh, printing whatever amount of, of uh, currency they had, because it's uh, the U.S. dollar is a global currency, but the, what the problem had, the U.S. has is a, is a debt of over 31 trillion dollars and uh and i think there's a possibility that maybe uh the the u.s might be uh actually negotiating uh, some kind of bailout 
because that could be a solution out of war. Uh, because if you if the U.S. were to lose the U.S. dollar hegemony, it would be just dramatic. But not only for the U.S. Keep in mind that nobody has any interest in having the U.S. the U.S. collapse. Uh, the whole world would suffer out of this. And also China. China, its, its economy is uh, closely related to the U.S., although China has been actually, they risk what they call decoupling and they're risking for a while. You know, there's a diversification towards South America with the, with the global south, with Africa. But they, uh, China is very pragmatic. They don't want war. And actually, they still want to trade with the U.S. It's not of China's interest to have the U.S. collapse. He wants to, he wants a multipolar world. Once there's a new world order that's going to be built up, and I think we might be in a in a situation where negotiations are being done. Um, I like to compare. You know, there was a meeting of BRICS a few months ago, and I like to compare to the Yalta meeting. You know, it was the the you know when the the Yalta meeting was when the war was not over yet, but they were actually to try starting to prepare the world of tomorrow. What would be the new world order? And BRICS is part of it. Uh, so somehow now, you know, maybe what Kissinger is, might be doing is, is trying to to set up some conditions, some conditions how, how we could do this transition, you know. But again, this is a speculation. We don't know what happened at that meeting. But the main problem the U.S. has right now is this huge debt that it cannot repay. And uh, if the U.S. loses its uh, U.S. dollar hegemony, uh, that could be dramatic. It would be just disastrous because... Because you would be like a hyperinflation, huge unemployment. Uh, so that is by speculation, but it's hard to say. Uh, I just, you know, that's that's maybe my wish too, because we don't want to have a war, which would be ultimately a, a mutual destruction. Because nobody wins on the Third World War when you have a nuclear superpower like China, Russia, and the U.S. facing each other. Well, uh, many people will find it. Uh incredible that you and I are credibly discussing the possibility that China will bail out the United States of America. The American Bretton Woods era would very obviously be dead and buried were that to happen. And yet, given the uh, holding, China's holding, uh, of U.S. bonds, uh, China could destroy the U.S. bond market. It's already been decoupling and de-risking itself from the U.S. Uh, bond market, from its holdings in American dollars, but it could simply sink the whole place by dumping its remaining bonds on the market and totally destroy the ability of the U.S. to uh, to repay uh, its debts. So it is a credible speculation that you are making. I merely press you on this point. Janet Yellen was there just a couple of weeks ago, kowtowing, bent over double uh, with Chinese officials, apparently believing that Chinese officials like people kowtowing to them, which of course meant she got her countries mixed up. Uh, Blinken was there just a few weeks before that. Why would you need to send a hundred-year-old man uh, to negotiate with China? 
That's very dramatic, isn't it? No, absolutely. It's a sign that the U.S. is de desperate. Uh, they, you know, and the, I think they put in pressure. They're trying to do regime change uh, in in Russia. They've been trying for a long time. They've been trying in in China to destabilize China to, to Tibet, through Xinjiang, uh, through the whole region. Uh, and this is maybe it's part of the negotiation of you know on this bailout on this construction of of the new world order. Maybe, uh, but again, I think there are probably two camps in the U.S. You have uh, the we the the radicals that are. They would go all the way just to to direct confrontation, and some people are just realizing. Well, you uh, just imagine. I mean, NATO cannot beat Russia, which has only. I mean, which has uh, not even ten percent of of uh, NATO expenditure in in defense. Uh, so just imagine. They, they and they. You, as you said just before, how many wars the U.S. has lost? The last war the U.S. lost, the, the world won, was uh, I think was Grenada. I mean, what they. They they lost all their wars and and it's just it's just madness you know it's a it's like Einstein said um, keep uh, madness is keep keeping doing the same result the, the same things and expecting uh, uh, different results uh, that is what is happening uh, so so uh, so it is it is very hard to say and, and again uh, I think that what, what is happening in the U.S. is a sort of their own system their political system is extremely unstable. Uh, people are, you know, they've been fooled for many times. You know, it's a, they are in a vicious circle of electing and regretting, and people are just realizing that they've been fooled. You know, you can fool people so many times, but uh, at the end of the day, the people they don't support their own system. Uh, they don't support the media, which are telling that that their their own people that they have the best system in the world that they should teach the world and so on. But facts are there. Uh, just to give you a few figures, I mean, there's probably 30% of people in the U.S. that actually trust their own government and their political system. And it's such an embarrassment because if you compare with China, you have 90 to 95% of people that trust and support the political system. You have 80% of people in Russia that actually support uh, Putin. And when I, when I give you those figures, uh, George, those figures come from Western sources, you know, very biased, but they, you know, they cannot lie. You know, it's, it's, a, and you just, you don't need much. You just go into the streets of, of Moscow. Uh, you just go into the streets of Shanghai. You talk to those people. You know, I, I've seen it. I was in uh, the first time in, in China. I arrived in China 30 years ago and I saw the reality. It was very backward. It was, it was poor. People were hungry and people are still hungry. You know, they are a hard working force. The mentality is, you know, it's a very tough mentality and, and they come up, you know, they, they had tough times. If you look at Chinese history, uh, now what they want is prosperity. They want tangible results. They, there's a diff, it's a different culture. Not only the culture is different, but when, when you look at the profile of their leaders, they are engineers. They come from science, math, technology, engineers. So those people, they create tangible things. Now look at the leaderships we have in the West. They're, you know, the youngsters, I mean, they are in their forties, you know, like Macron, the very telegenics, you know, uh, Trudeau and so on. Background, well, Macron is an ex-banker. He's gonna do a revolving door, he's a Rothschild banker. He, come, he came from there, he was pre-selected by the, the elites. He goes into politics, then he goes back to being a banker. 
That's what is going to happen. He's going to be multimillionaire and he's going to make his bank, the, the Rothschild Bank or whatever bank he's going to work with, even richer. Uh, the profile of those people, Western leaders, are lawyers, bankers, and they do not produce anything. And not only they, they don't produce anything, they, they well, you know, they are, they're not, they, they're out of, of touch of, uh, uh, when it comes to the reality of what people want. They are, they are not following their voters' wishes. They are vo following uh, the orders of whoever funded their, uh, their, their uh, campaigns. Uh, so, so this, those are the problems. We, we, uh, we really need to just to to get get our house in order. And uh, there's one point I want to say, but because uh, we are being criticized, people like me that are in the in the have been in the West for a long time as being traitors, as uh, they they say, well, I, I love China more than my country, and so on. It is not. It is not. And I would. Uh, my position is very similar to Scott Ritter's position when it comes to loving my country. Why do I denounce my country? Because I do love my country. That is a responsibility. And I think I love more my country than people that are blindly following the mistakes that their country are doing. Uh, and and uh, do I love China more than my country? No. But I do envy China. I envy their system because I see what they've done for their people. And when I see tangible results, prosperity, because ultimately it's about, you know, it's not about promises. It's not about uh, selling dreams. I have a dream and so on. Okay, you are going to touch emotions. By emotions, does it feed you? Does it bring you food on the table? It doesn't. Chinese want tangible results, you know, and that's what the West wants. But what they, what they do in the West, they've done everything to to suppress the class consciousness to suppress the reality by the, doing lots of diversions they are dividing people over races they are dividing people over genders and that's the usual divide and conquer what in reality these two classes the upper class of the one percent and the rest and they they are so afraid that the rest realizes they get the, this class consciousness and they realize that, oh, you know what? We need to unite together and we need to bring back democracy. What is the meaning of democracy? Because the West keeps on hammering the global South. Oh, democracy, democracy. Well, go back to the meaning. Demos kratos, power to the people. The rules of the games need to be written by the people. Give back power to the people. And ultimately, you know what? It's not about labels. You know, we need to be extremely careful. And I think you've, you've mentioned this quite a few times. Stop putting labels, the ism, socialist, capitalist, and so on. You put people into boxes. In reality, there's two classes, the upper class of the 1% and the rest. And we are all the same. And we need to regain this power. And, and, and guess what? You go to China. <laughs> That's a power by the people, for the people, of the people. Uh, you know, and, and, and again, you know, it's not the fact that in the West you have, you, 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 you cast a ballot, doesn't make it a democracy. Because the candidates you are going to elect were pre-selected by the elites. 
and the rules of the game were beaten by the elites. This is why you what you have in the when you look at France, that movement, the yellow vest, was a very smart and mature movement. And they were actually working about the foundation of democracy was sovereignty, regaining sovereignty, direct democracy, so referendum rights, and actually educating people about what is a real democracy. Because see, they want to, they, you know, people educated are very dangerous. You give education, that's a weapon because people start realizing and they don't want that. They are going to do diversion, you know, to distract you. Netflix, drugs, alcohol, you are enslaved by your job, you're in a survival mode and you do not have time because you are in survival mode. If, when do you have like 10 minutes just to, to study, you know, and to look at your own problem. And now what the West is doing, you're going all the way, 10,000 of miles to China and you're pointing out oh, China bad, China bad, and, China. and you're even investing half a billion dollar to demonize China. The, the Spanish government that appears to have fallen today will be remembered for two things. First of all, Joseph Borrell's uh, uh, concept of the European Union being a garden and the rest of the world being a jungle. And the second thing, their only parliamentary achievement will turn out to have been an overhaul of the sexual offenses legislation in Spain. An overhaul which led to the premature release of hundreds of rapists and pedophiles and, and, uh, and perverts of all kinds, and an overhaul of the law on bestiality. The Spanish socialist government changed the law so that having sex with an animal will no longer be a criminal offense as long as the animal was not harmed as a result of the experience. That's what they call an achievement, Angelo, as compared to the achievements, material achievements of the government in China. Last word to you, my friend. Well, I think when it comes to European politics, it's always very important to understand what is this project of Europe. The European project was uh, actually a CIA initiative. You know, uh, Jean Monnet was uh, is considered the, the father of Europe. Was on a CIA payroll. You can actually follow. You know, there's a, there's a, there are a few politicians in France uh, like uh, François Asselineau and uh, Marie-France Garot. They actually uh, they have exposed this this project. What was Europe, Europe about? So when it comes to Europe, you know, I have only one single condition. You know, you. If you want to choose someone, a politician, you, ne you need a politician that is actually advocating for exiting Europe. Because the first preconditions for democracy is sovereignty. Uh, the countries in Europe need to regain their sovereignty because all the decisions are in Brussels to people that you are not electing and that are actually following the orders of the thousands of lobbyists in Brussels. Whoever you choose, it's all there. You, they don't have rooms. You know, if you are president in, in, uh, let's say Macron, you don't have any room, rooms for deciding. All the decisions are made there 
And it's just what you do. It's just locally some fine tuning. And the project of Europe is a completely destruction of nation state. They, you know, and they are going to do it through my um, immigrate, uh, immigration and so on. This, you know, and also I'm not even talking about the, the, this, uh, this social engineering of, uh, uh, deconstruction of human being. You know, it's, it's a whole project, which is extremely evil. And you mentioned pedophilia. Well, you, we are going to legalize into the direction of legalizing pedophilia. It is extremely evil and they call themselves progressive. You know, it's, it's, it's not. We, we need to mm. fight this because it's extremely evil. And, and again, you know, it's past the, you know, the limit. I mean, animals, kids, no way. We need to go out in the streets. We need to fight this. Angelo Giuliano, as always, brilliant to hear from you and get your take on contemporary events. Thank you indeed for joining us. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Uh, let's go to the lines. Sadie is in New Jersey on Angelo's interview. Let's hear what Sadie thinks. Go ahead, please. Hi, Mr. Galloway. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for taking my call. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullah. Thank you, sir. So, uh, first off, I really appreciate you having Mr. Giuliano on your show because it was a very good insight as to why maybe Kissinger has gone to China. I never thought that it would be something to do with the bailout. And I appreciate you providing a platform like this to give us different insights and different ways of thinking. So um, my salute to you and I appreciate all you do. Thank you, my dear. I think it is extraordinary, don't you? That we I do, may I do. I never be, thought of uh, talking ab- about a ba- China bailing out the United States. That would uh, that would solidify uh, the uh, hitherto uh, kind of nascent complete change in the world order, wouldn't it? That would make China number one. Uh, it would make uh, China the, the 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 number one hombre in town, wouldn't it? Absolutely, I, I very much agree with you. And the fact that you we don't really hear these type of insights, right? So to get this to get this viewpoint and to think about it and then process it, I think it's really good for all of us. And um, so I'm. Very thankful that yeah. you. Yeah, it's give called us this uh, it's called democracy. It's called democracy. It's called being the land of the free, uh, and so on. All the things that the Western countries pay lip service to, whilst burying 
if not uh, if not criminalizing. Thank you very much for that, Sadie. Very kind call. Eric Hunley is a man who knows the story of Alec Baldwin and Helena Hutchins very closely indeed, more closely than he would have liked to. He is a broadcaster uh, of note. He is a co-host, a fellow television show host like me, and he's been caught up in the terrible story of how Alec Baldwin came inadvertently to fire live ammunition on a film set. The rest is controversial. Let me ask Eric to tell us himself. He's the co-host of America's Untold Stories and the host of Unstructured. Well, we're structured, but we like untold stories, Eric. So thanks for joining us. Tell us where you fit into this story, as well as describing to those who may not know, this is a global audience, what actually happened that fateful day. Thank you for having me. Ironically, the story is tied in with my channel, America's Untold Stories with Mark Robert. The shooting occurred October 21st, 2021, and that was the day before I recreated our channel. So our channel kind of coincided with the incident actually happening. Mark is a script writer and has worked with the likes of Oliver Stone and being around Hollywood, he said, hey, you know what, let's do one episode covering this whole Alec Baldwin shooting. It was all over the news, so we decided to cover it it was going to be a one-off story. The story grew legs, however, and it is a confusing, utter mess. If I'm gonna take you through the day very quickly, essentially, the morning of the shooting, the film crew walked off the set. Everyone except for Helena Hutchins, the director of photography, and of course, her lighting people. Because these people were off the set and there were COVID protocols, some things got a little awry. They were setting up a shot for something that was going to happen that afternoon or the following morning of the biggest scene in the movie, which was a big shootout inside of a church. And she was inside of the church asking Alec Baldwin to essentially frame out his gun for the shot. Now, the armorer at the time, um, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, was not allowed to be there because of COVID protocols, and this is a very important consideration, and there's also controversy over her having more than one job. She was also an assistant props person. But between her and the first assistant director and Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin had the gun, Helena Hutchins, who should not have been in the church. She should have actually been outside viewing the scene through something called Video Village. Video Village is like a monitoring station where they will remotely look at what's going on in the shot. Because the camera crew walked off due to safety concerns and other concerns, the Video Village operator was not there. That put her inside the building. So she was behind the camera he points the gun at the camera. He claims he didn't pull the trigger. Another controversy, but a bullet fired from that gun. It went through Helena Hutchins, killing her soon thereafter and into the director, Joel Sousa. 
So it, I'll come to that, you know, magic bullet uh, in, in a minute, a bullet that came out of a gun that wasn't triggered and went into uh, two people. But <laughs> from the story that you've described so far, uh, there would appear to be uh, a bit of cheapskating and a bit of uh, hysteria over COVID protocols when the safety of someone, the life of someone was cost by someone not being allowed to be there because of COVID. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Or was the production company trying to save dollars? Were they trying to maximize profits, uh, squeeze costs? What lies behind? All the above. <laughs> That's why this is such a, a terrible disaster. This is an independent run and gun production. And I'm not trying to be pun, you know, that's a terrible pun, but they're filming in New Mexico, extremely low budget. They only had a few million dollars. Alec Baldwin, keep in mind, is an A-list actor. And I think his salary for the movie was around $200,000. He could have easily asked for $2 million or more. So that gives you an idea of how low budget this really was. So were they trying to save money? Absolutely. The armorer that they had hired, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, had only done one previous movie. She kind of got hired because of nepotism. Her father is Thel Reed, who is a legendary armor and um gun gunfighter gunslinger type he would do tricks with guns that would blow your mind on ed sullivan all the way through history one of the top quick draw artists in the world so his reputation helped her because she would kind of hang out with him when she was a kid on the sets and he did teach her a lot but they also wanted her to be a property or a props assistant there were only so many days in the budget for, quote, gun days for armor work. So they you know, threw on another job so she could get a little bit more money. That's even more of the controversy because I broke the email, or we did, where the line producer was complaining to Hannah Reed that she was spending too much time on guns and too little time on props. The ironies that come forth in this situation are countless. Some of us are having difficulty, me included. Uh, in I, full disclosure, Alec Baldwin is a friend of mine. I'm mm. I'm struggling with the idea that that an actor uh, who's given a gun on a film set could conceivably know that there was a live bullet inside it. Whoever's fault that there was a live bullet inside it, it was. It wasn't Alex, was it? Yeah, that's where we get into the weeds. That the, You did ask the most important question of the entire affair that I think is being overlooked by the prosecution, or at least not advertised by the prosecution and the investigation. Where did the live ammo come from? If that was a dummy round, which it was supposed to be, it wouldn't have nothing would matter it would all be okay whatever nothing a click if it was a blank there would have been a bang people might have been startled but there would be no death here there should have been no live ammunition on the set 
So that is a giant question. We don't have answers for that. I, I can speculate on it, but I won't speculate completely because I don't like to get too far into pointing a finger without actual evidence. What is What stage is this all at now? Who's been charged with what? The people who were charged were Alec Baldwin, Dave Halls, and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. And that would be the lead, Alec Baldwin, who did have the gun. Um, the first assistant director, who is considered the safety officer on this set, who handed it to Baldwin or didn't. We don't know for sure because Baldwin has contradicted himself on that. And Hannah Reed, the armor. Those are the three charged. Now, Dave Halls copped a plea. So he is the only one who has actually been convicted. He pleaded out a sentence. He's not serving any time. I, I forget he's been fined and he has a record and he's under supervision for X amount of time. I, I don't have that down. Alec Baldwin and Hannah were charged the same with negligent homicide and a enhancement charge because there was a weapon involved. Then things went crazy again. Alec Baldwin has an amazing legal team very powerful and they are not asleep they're earning their money and they essentially have shredded the case there was initially a special prosecutor brought on who was also in the state legislature she was brought on before she got voted into the state legislature alec baldwin's team went after that fact and said hey you can't be a member of the legislature and acting on part of a DA, you're going into two parts of the government here. You're, there's two branches. There's a problem. And they claimed it wasn't an issue, but she ultimately resigned. They also attacked the enhancement charges because it turns out the enhancement charges were written into law after the shooting even took place. Hmm. So you can't charge somebody with a law that didn't exist when they did the crime. So that got thrown out. So then it got... It's been taken down to only uh, involuntary manslaughter, a negligence charge. But it went one step further, and Alec Baldwin's charges have been dismissed. Not with prejudice, though, so he is not out of the woods completely, but they have dismissed his charges on the theory that the gun had been modified before he even got it, which is incredibly troubling and confusing because the guns went to the FBI and the FBI stated that they had not been modified, that they were in perfect working condition. And there's a chain of custody from the manufacturer to the set. So again, it's confusing. So right now the charges are against Hannah Gutierrez-Reed for the involuntary manslaughter and they added another charge of uh, trying to withhold or hide evidence, claiming that she was hiding uh, drugs. And I believe by rumor, it's uh, the white powder, the special white powder that you find in the White House. Uh, well, I was just about to say that, the kind of stuff that you find lying around in the situation room uh, in the White House. Uh, what has this done for Alec Baldwin? Uh, will he ever work again? How damaging has it all been for him? He filmed Rust. Rust has actually been filmed. It's in the can. 
I don't know if they're editing it or whatever, but all, all the filming took place in April. The charges against him being dismissed lined up the day before it filmed. So take it where you will. He's also in another movie coming up called Kent State. And judging from what I've seen in your past, that might be something you're interested in, the uh, the the state of what happened in the United States and Ohio during Vietnam protests with the students that got shot down by the National Guard. He's in that movie coming up. He did, I think, two other movies while this has been going on. I mean, we're going on two years now. This is a long slog. Well, I'm unfortunately old enough to have seen the Kent State Massacre in real time. And there were plenty mm -hmm. of intentional shooting of live bullets in that. Eric, thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. It's your first time. I hope it isn't your last. It's been fascinating talking to you. Now, my film Killing Kelly about the strange death of Dr. David Kelly is now on demand on my Patreon page. So my Patreon supporters are receiving that free. Uh, new Moats legend this evening, an indefatigable journalist and commentator Ian Muir, whose work I very, very much admire, and uh, a new Moats graduate, Joseph Ball. Thank you to both of you for your support. Uh, Quack Quacks says the problem is that the people voting in the US don't seem to see the actions of Biden and NATO as disgusting and bad. It's for many all good because they've been taught to think that and not to dare cross the line. And Paul McDonald says, if it's not Ukraine, it's definitely Hunter. As always, GG, great question, great show. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Graham Briggs-White, a Moats legend, says, I also think Biden will spell the end for Ukraine. I hope Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping can keep up the level-headedness and diplomacy with these narcissistic sociopaths. And Andy says, a while ago, you recommended Barbarossa by Alan Clark as a good book. I bought it, read it, took it to Africa. It's now thoroughly done, the rounds of family and friends. I'll be going back soon. Can you recommend another book or two? I'll have a think, Andy, but Barbarossa indeed is an epic piece of work. Prince is in Texas on RFK. Go ahead, Prince. Hey, George. Um, good evening I'm in London. I, uh, first of all, want to thank you. I've been watching you since I was a kid, and uh, you're a great man of integrity. I just want to say that. Um, first things thank first you. on RFK. I am very hopeful, like uh, the previous caller said, uh, the Israel-Palestine question is not a strong suit and uh, something which I take very personal. But still, on other issues, I think I can get, a lot, get behind him. But the problem is the media, of course, because no matter how good uh, your policies are or whatever your intentions are, if you can get it to people, and I don't know if it's just here in the United States, I've seen, I think also in the UK, people are very gullible. Just look like the Russia coalition uh, hoax, which till date is still, you still hear people talk about it in Congress. I was, I was watching most of the hearings. You hear them just go through it. Oh, Russia intervened in the 2016 election. Even though all the tenets of that accusation have been proven false, it still stays as fact. And nobody fact checks it. And talk about fact check and the uh, social media. 
if let's say JFK or the Twitter files or people like um, Matt Taibbi, if they make a grammatic error just as much as maybe failing to dot an I or a T or the cause a T, it's called misinformation, and they'll kind of label them about that. But Joe Biden can take his bullet puppy and, and stand there and say people did not get vaccinated, uh, that the vaccines uh, will stop the spread. Nothing will ever happen. Lie blatantly, disproven. Nothing will ever happen to them. Nobody puts a label on them. So these things heavily affect us. My question is, how do we, because without the media actually exposing this, most of these things we're talking about is because I listen to people like you, I listen to other people. But not everybody listens to, you know, the mainstream doesn't really listen to this. They listen to MSNBC or CNN, which are pretty much state media. So if information has been gone into Well, look, uh, right uh, now, Prince, uh, well, uh, let me let, let me give you some comfort. Uh, first of all, thank you for a wonderful call, and you summed up the situation very well. Uh, but if if the media could dictate who the president was, then Donald Trump would never have been elected in 2016. All the media uh, was against him. The newspaper virtually all of the television stations, all of the radio stations, all of the disinformation uh, department uh, of uh, state, the Obama uh, White House, uh, the Clinton White House, all of that deep state machinery was against Donald Trump. The FBI was against him. The CIA was against him. But he still won. Everybody is spewing hate on RFK, but he's still the most favorably regarded of all the candidates, including Trump, in the current uh, political uh, campaign season. So uh, don't imagine that the so-called mainstream media can make the weather. Of course, they can influence the weather. And I wish that they were even less important than they actually are. But they're not very important. You mentioned MSNBC. Do you know how many people watch MSNBC? If this was a normal business, it would be out of business long ago. Do you know how many people watch CNN? We are in danger of fixating too much on the liberal hegemony of media outlets with infinitesimally small viewerships. This show that you are watching has 10 times the viewership, 10 times the viewership of Rupert Murdoch's talk TV with its budget of billions. So, you know, let's not lose hope. Let's be our own media. You're right, not everybody watches me, watches those other people that you watch. Well, it's your job, and it's everybody else's job that's watching this and agrees with me this evening. It's your job to tell as many other people as you possibly can what we are all about, how to find us, encourage them, and check up afterwards whether they took your advice. And if they didn't, encourage them all over again. Have you any idea how we would multiply if everybody watching this did that? The best part of 2 million people will watch this 
program over the next seven days. If those nearly two million spoke to one other person, we'd be three million if their advice was taken. And so on and exponentially on, it is possible to go. It's in our hands. Let's do it. I can't do much more than what I'm doing. I need you, the audience, to spread the word. Thanks, Prince. Great call. Well, that's the end of the show, uh, unfortunately, but we've covered a fair amount of ground from the uh, screenwriters and uh, actors struggle in Hollywood, the mishaps that can occur uh, with tragic consequences in the making of movies. We had a review of Oppenheimer that was, well, not sizzling, if you'll forgive the pun. And we've talked about the epic trip, for that's what it is, of a hundred-year-old man called Henry Kissinger to China for a reason that has not yet been told. I think Angelo Giuliano's thesis is as good a piece of speculation as any. The United States is in grave economic danger of default. Its debt has become astronomical is exponentially multiplying and cannot withstand the very significant moves away from dollarization that are underway in this tectonic shift that we've been talking about all night and many, many nights. It cannot survive the reduction in the percentage of people using the dollar as their reserve currency. It cannot survive uh, the process of dumping of U.S. Treasury bonds, which is heavily underway, not least in a controlled way so far, by China itself. Wouldn't it be perhaps the greatest irony in all history if American capitalism and its United States of America currently planning a military attack on China was literally saved from economic collapse by the very China that they had been planning and had invested so much in attacking. If it turns out that that's what Kissinger was there for, well, I for one will be glad because like Angelo, I want neither the economic collapse of the United States of America with all the mass poverty that that would create there in the USA, but also uh, cascading around the world. I don't want that, and I want World War III even less. As a matter of fact, as I get older and as I look at my young children playing as they were, on the beach today, as Bob Dylan said, they ran to the water, their buckets to fill. As I saw them straggling back up the sand, I was filled with emotion, not just at my love for them and my gratitude 
to their mother, my wife, not just that, uh, but the fear that what Oppenheimer developed and which others have now multiplied in lethality by thousands of times will bring about the end of this beautiful planet and all the beautiful people and things within it. I thought about it because there has never been a time in my long life of political struggle of more than half a century. I know I don't look it. There has never been a time when such an eventuality seemed more likely than it does as I address you in saying goodnight this very evening. God willing, and the apocalypse notwithstanding, I'll be back here on Wednesday at the slightly later time of 9 p.m. UK time. I appreciate you might be sitting out in the sun. I appreciate you might even be on holiday, but play catch up. At least watch the show or the clips from it on catch up. I hope so. In any case, I wish you a good night and thank you again for watching the Mother of All Talk Shows.